scripture today is from Matthew, verses 21 through 25. You have heard that it was said to those who live long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift at the altar and go first Make things right with your brother or sister. Then come back and offer the gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court, and you will be thrown in prison. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think all children have a natural ability to push and seek where the line is. Where the line is that they can't cross and they shouldn't cross. The line where they'll get in trouble. What is the line? How far can I go? I don't want to use examples of my own children who are here and are doing that sort of thing this morning. <laughs> but but my nie- I have a niece who's a senior at Notre Dame. And when she was, she was a kid um, uh, many years ago, her parents would say, now, you know, you can't leave your room during the night. And so she would get her blanket and go to the door frame. And she would lay down with her hand touching the edge of the door frame just to touch the light. Like, I'm going to listen to the light. I'm going to follow the rule. But I'm going right to the very edge of the line. Grown-ups do this too. We try and clarify where are the lines that we need to follow? What are the rules that are really important and what are the rules that you can kind of fudge a little bit? What are, what are the actual boundaries of behavior, boundaries at our job? You know, you figure that out. You get a new job and you have to figure out, okay, what are, what are the things I really need to focus on and where can I have a little wiggle room in, in, my, in my work? Where's a little flexibility? And I think, honestly, we do this with God, with sin in a lot of ways. We think, what are the things we need to focus on? What are the things we need to focus on and pay attention to? And what are the things that we need to not, we don't need to spend as much time thinking about? What What are the things we need to focus on in order to be a good person? What should our priorities be? What should our priorities be? Should we beat ourselves up over every little thing, every little mistake we do? If we're going 36 in a 35 and violating Romans 13 against the laws of the state, should we beat ourselves up? What is, what is the line? What is the barrier? Yet what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the, from the area of the book of Matthew that Richard read earlier, is he throws all of that boundary-seeking out the window. It changes how we, we look at boundaries. It starts off with the famous passage, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are, those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for they shall be satisfied. And on and on. The Beatitudes have these inversions of expectations. We have a category, a quality that we feel like we understand, and then Jesus inverts the expectation. And, you know, most of us are still in, in the world created by the King James Bible. And, you know, it's hard, even if you hear blessed, it's hard to hear it. You hear blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, because we're so formed by that beautiful language. The, the Greek used in the gospel is makarios, which is more like happy. Um, is happy is a closer translation than blessed. Uh, and even in some newer translations, it says that happy are the poor in spirit, which is a little jar- more jarring to read. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who mourn. Not those who move on with their life and pretend nothing happened. Happy are they. Happy are the poor in spirit. People never want to go talk to the poor in spirit at a party, right? That's not the ones you want to go spend a lot of time with, but that's what Jesus says. That's where the happiness of God comes from. And so then in Matthew 5, 21, we have another example of Jesus inverting our expectations. You have heard it said from long ago, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. In this way, he's, he's saying it's not just a Jewish thing. It's like it's a human thing. You have said you shouldn't kill each other. Most societies have some kind of boundary on, on killing. There are people you shouldn't kill. But with killing and murder, we have a clear boundary. We have a clear line. There's, okay, if I, if I beat this person up all the way, but I don't kill them, I'm good, right? I'm not breaking this law. I can do a lot of things to a person and not kill them, and then I won't be doing this specific sin. We have this clear line that we can, that we can fit our actions and make sure that we're not going over that actions. Jesus said, you have heard it said to people who go up to the line but take consolation in the fact they don't cross the line. They get to that line. They're like, like my niece who sleeps on the edge of the door frame. Where I got up there, you know, I, was, I, I beat that person to a pulp, but not quite dead. So it wasn't a sin, right? But then Jesus flips it on us. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. So Jesus takes this very narrow category, murder. I mean, a lot of people have been killed over the years, but hopefully most of us haven't really been tempted to murder each other, like in a real way, for a long time. Um, that that's not something you wake up and you're, you're praying to God, I hope I don't kill anyone today, um, unless you're like you know, Curly from City Slickers and says the day ain't over yet. Um, but, but most of us don't have to go through our, our day and think that we need to avoid, we need to really focus on avoiding killing people. But it's, it's, it's far narrower than anger. Anger is a much more common human phenomenon. Again, I hope that most of us don't consciously debate with ourselves whether or not we're going to kill anybody today. But, but Jesus expands this category of a narrow human action to probably the broadest one imaginable. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult your brother or sister, you'll be liable you'll be liable. So Jesus takes these expectations of how to be a good person, of what that looks like, and he points 
to our expectations of the moral lines we draw, of the things we think we don't need to worry about, the ways we think we get off the hook because we're not, at least we're not killing anybody today. Jesus, Jesus challenges that and says, really, that we're all culpable in this way. We all need to come to account. And then he continues on these stretching the lines. He moves on to, to lying and adultery. He takes a narrow category and he, he expands it so that we all become suspect. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's a clear line that Jesus now completely runs over. No longer is it just the external act. It's also the internal act that we must judge and where we can stray from God. He does this with divorce. He does this with oaths and with swearing. We have expectations and he flips them. He does this with oaths, with a surprising things. Yet your yes be yes and your no be no. And the oaths, I think, are very interesting. Many, many of you have served um, in, in the military or in government or in trials and things and had to take an oath of some kind. And, and Jesus says, nobody should take an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And people who take oaths today didn't design the system they live in, but it's, it's, a, it's pretty clearly against the, direct, the clear words of Jesus here. And the, you know, the system out of which these oaths that we have today comes, the English common law system, that was filled with scripture, filled with Christian faith, and yet it's still designed this system where you have to swear to tell the truth, where you swear to uphold the Constitution. When Jesus also says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we may say to Jesus, that's good, Jesus, but we live in the real world. And if people don't swear on something, they're just going to lie. There's liars and sinners out there. How can we hold them accountable? What can we do then? And the response that Jesus gives is the response to everything else in the Sermon on the Mount is the only answer is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation upon which we can stand. Faith in the kingdom of heaven. We can only let our yes be yes and our no be no if Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is not Lord, we do need a complicated system to determine the veracity of what people say and consequences from it. If Jesus is not Lord, swear all you want. Swear on anything. What does that matter? Keep those moral lines crystal clear and be satisfied with the life that you're living on your own. But if Jesus is Lord then that system smacks in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, again, like the system that, that formed all of these oaths was very, a very Christian environment. They weren't trying to disobey the words of Jesus. They weren't trying to intentionally oppose the words of Jesus. There are practical and pragmatic reasons to have these clear lines. And yet, the words of Jesus challenge these practicalities. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, is an act of faith because it believes more in the God of truth than in our own ability to adjudicate the truth, than our own ability to solve it and be responsible for it. And this form of faith works in all these situations. 
Murder is not just limited to the discreet act of taking another person's life, but it also refers to anger in your heart. And this only works if Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is not Lord, then of course, murder is just, is just the taking of another life. And murder in your heart makes no sense whatsoever. And adultery is, is what we know it to be unless Jesus is Lord. And then it is lust in our hearts because any lust in our hearts is a lack of faith in the God who is love, a lack of conversion of the desire in our hearts. And we may think that these expanded categories make our life more difficult if we have to, you know, maybe we have to worry more about anger and other things instead of we, were, we thought we were in the clear for murder. We thought, oh, good, I don't have to worry about at least that commandment. I got covered. I'm not killing anyone. I got that under control. And yet, and yet Jesus offers this, this way that seems to make everything more difficult. I can't help, if I can't help from sinning, if I, if I wake up and I'm already sinning, what is the point of the language of sin? And this is where the, the, the real work that Jesus is after comes into play. He's not, he's not talking about these, these sins and this binary of sin and non-sin, but Jesus shows us that, that a radical life of love is possible if we seek God, if we have a life oriented towards God, if our life, the trajectory of our life is towards God by grace and faith. And we don't need to settle for half sins. We don't need to settle for these boundaries and for these rationalizations and consolations that we tell ourselves at least we're not killing anyone today. Our consolation can only be found in Jesus Christ. We're only, and we only are able to face the direction of God by grace through faith, only because of faith, only because of stepping beyond ourselves, stepping beyond our expectations, our certainty, not by knowing the right rules to follow or the right rules to break, only by faith. Anger is a lack of faith. Anger is an attempt to take justice into my hands and to take it away from God's hands. If justice is on God's side, I don't need to be angry. And every act of anger towards another is like murder because I'm forsaking God's justice in order to take my own justice. And many people say that Jesus is, is um, angry later in the gospels in the temple when he turns over the tables, but he's really not. And he's, he's not angry. He's, I think frustrated is a better example. His emo- there's really no emotional valence going on with Jesus there. He turns over the tables and the money changers. He says, my house will not be called my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. In another gospel, he puts a whip together, but he doesn't whip people. He whips animals. It's a whip designed for whipping animals. He's not angry. We like to imagine Jesus overturning the tables in anger so that we can justify our own anger, but, but he's, he's not. So Jesus doesn't contradict himself here by condemning anger in Matthew 5 and then overturning the idea later. What we are left with, with all of this, is an encouragement for a life of faith that we can truly follow God. We can only do this by faith. We need to let go of our expectations that we're going to save ourselves. Those clear moral lines are tools that can delude us into thinking we are saving Ourselves. That doesn't mean that anything goes. It means we all must repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must constantly convert our hearts away from our own desire and self-satisfaction towards the God who is love. And that takes 
faith. And we've got to let go and take a step of faith to look into our hearts. What do we desire? What do we long for? If we are angry, why are we angry? Why are we lacking faith in that moment? What do we hope for? Can we turn our hearts towards God, towards our neighbor, or we turned away? There will be mercy in this. It's not that you have to be like a moral superhero to, to restructure your inner workings. There's grace for you, but you got to turn around. You can't be walking backwards. If I, if I say I love God, I need to be going forwards in this life of faith, growing in this life of faith, willing to, to read these words of the Sermon on the Mount and not see them as just idealistic, but as the possibility offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The path is open to us. Christ's kingdom is here to live out for us, not in some idealistic future, but now as we repent and believe that Jesus is Lord, it is a step of faith to let your yes be yes and your no be no, because it means you, you're okay with other people abusing that because your faith is greater in God than in control over a situation. Your faith is greater in God than, than in the people around you. All we must do is repent and believe. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. What do you seek? That is the ultimate question of the Sermon on the Mount. That is how he ends it later in Matthew. What do you seek? Seek and you will find. If you are seeking God, you will find God. If you are seeking your own heart, you will find that too. And it's going to be unsatisfying. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these will be offered to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we follow your path and not our own. May we let go of ourselves and enter into your kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.